0: hey everyone this is adam ellenboss from nightlight astrology and today we are going to take another look at saturn's entrance into pisces Um, this is part of my intention to cover this major transit uh major ingress of saturn into pisces from as many different angles as possible so that people really All of you get a really deep immersion into the archetype Um, i think that's valuable to do as saturn a very slow moving planets changing signs going to be in pisces for a couple of years now let's really get to know it right Um, we've done that a bunch already we're going to take a look at it um, from a slightly different angle today we're going to talk about uh saturn and pisces and the relationship to negative emotions and it's a very simple combination saturn as the greater malefic a planet that is often very challenging Pisces, a very emotional sign. So when you put the two together, one of the things that can come up are a variety of complicated or quote unquote negative emotions. Now I use that word kind of loosely and uh, don't mean to, you know, uh, I think we'll diversify what we mean by negative emotions quite a bit today. So uh, don't worry about that. Um, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at why Saturn and Pisces loves negative emotions and what it does both positively and negatively um, to our uh, emotional body so to speak when Saturn is in the sign of Pisces so that's our goal for today we will be doing this by the way with Pluto's entrance into Aquarius um, next week and saying quite a bit about that as well so um, don't worry if you're looking forward to uh, Pluto's entrance into Aquarius already you're already totally over Saturn's entrance into Pisces then don't worry your your Pluto content's coming soon um, to be sure so and we'll do the same thing we'll look at it from a variety of different angles really help us get to know the the archetype all right, that's uh that's what we've got. What's what we're gonna do today? So before we get into it, as always, uh, if you haven't liked and subscribed already, it helps the channel to grow, it gets the word out there. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, share your comments. I love hearing from you guys and what the different videos kind of evoke or what you know what thoughts they bring up. I love seeing what you guys have to say. You can find transcripts of any of my daily talks on the website, nightlightastrology.com. Um, next week. Uh, for one, uh, one whole week, we'll be running a special sale uh, from the 20th of March through the 27th of March. We are doing a Kickstarter reboot sale. So we get a bunch of emails from people and they basically say, hey, can I still take advantage of the Kickstarter deal? I missed it. Maybe I didn't have the money or funds at the time to take advantage of those great sale numbers on your classes will you offer that again or do I have to wait all the way until next Kickstarter? So what we did last year was we ran a one week resell of the course discounts. And we're going to do that again this year because we've received enough emails to, uh, to warrant it. So we're like, okay, let's do it. Let's do a one week sale. So from the 20th of March through the 27th, it's a little, we're not quite there yet, but you'll see me announcing it every day and I'll take you over to the website and show you how to do it. But all of the classes will be on sale. So that's going to take and give you big discounts. Um, significantly more uh, of a discount than even our early bird rates on all of the programs and we have a two and four class bundle that will make the classes even um more of a of a sale uh, and a good deal so i'll tell you about that more next week stay tuned for that all right. In the meantime, as always, don't forget to use the hashtag grabbed if you have a story to share because these are some big transits and I would really love to do an episode focused on Saturn's entrance into Pisces and how it's um, you know, how it's showing up in your lives. So please do use the hashtag grabbed or email us your story grabbed at nightlightastrology.com. If you're new to the channel, the, one of the ancient names for the planets was Graha, which means grabber. And so we, we use these um, storytelling episodes as a way of looking at how the planets come and sort of seize our consciousness and, and what we learn from them, both, you know, the, the, the poignant stuff and the really hilarious stuff it's those are really fun episodes we we generate those episodes because you guys share your stories so use that hashtag grabbed and then tell us your story and which transit it relates to uh, as the planets show up in your life or email us if you prefer a little bit more privacy but don't email or share anything you don't mind me using anonymously in a future storytelling episode. Okay. So let's go over to the real time clock. Just really briefly remind everyone what the heck we're looking at. I like to do that every day. Uh, we haven't had the big donut show up for a while. So I've, I've, I've not been feeling like a little, uh, dissatisfied. Like where's the big donut, you know? Oh, but today the, the pen's not going to work. So, well, that was close. See, I like invoked it. I was like, we need some drama with the, uh, the magic pen. All right, here we go always because there's an, uh, an option that I need to click. All right. So there's Saturn into Pisces now a degree in. So it's like, you know, starting to, it's, it's more than just dipped its big toe in. It's got like its feet and ankles in the water. I think that the, um, that image is probably appropriate since Pisces actually rules the feet. But anyway, that's where it is. And uh, moving through this uh, in the latter part of the moon cycle right now, Uh, It it should be interesting, especially one of the days that I'm really looking forward to just from a standpoint of, you know, being an astrologer who likes to see how things show up is this balsamic moon in Pisces with Saturn, which is really from March 19th all the way up to the new moon, which happens on March 21st, which is the, you know, the equinox. So it's an interesting balsamic moon leading to this very fiery explosive moment uh, at the new moon. And that balsamic moon should give us a flavor, like a Saturn and Pisces flavor, I think. Anyway, so today we're going to talk about why Saturn and Pisces loves negative emotions. What do they do for us? Um, And this is more than just, you know, negative emotions. At the outset, people might initially resist that and go like, wait, you know, I don't like any kind of emotion being just labeled as negative. And sure, fair enough. I think what you'll find is that the purpose of this talk is meant to describe what the benefit or what is the archetypal need for such emotions? What, what do they do for the soul? So we're gonna talk, call them negative, but then talk about you know why they are soulful despite being quote unquote negative, right? So that's kind of the purpose. And also um, why you know, kind of kind of the pros and cons of the quote-unquote negative emotions that Saturn and Pisces tends to generate. Now, again, where are we getting this basic premise from that mm-hmm. Saturn and Pisces has something to do with negative emotions? From the fact that Saturn is associated with melancholy, was the ruler of melancholy, uh, especially when Saturn is in water signs, um, Pisces, uh, Cancer, Scorpio, you'll see that melancholic temperament activated um, for a couple of years. And um, especially people who are already inclined to it, you may feel that a little bit more powerfully. But it's associated with all the complicated um, emotions of, you know, romanticism, uh, for example, which is not just, you know, a rom- romanticism is not just rose-colored glasses, right? It's it's a very complicated worldview that involves angst and dissatisfaction as much as it may involve, um, you know, the, the the like longings and love and um, and sort of, uh, you know, the the romantic. But uh, like the grand Im- emotional romantic states, so romanticism is is you know complicated. Um, and Saturn in Pisces is going to be, uh, among other things, associated with all of the heavy and and complex. Um, it's like a it's like a hurricane of um, emotions, and in fact, is associated oftentimes with the way that water can. Um, erode structures, right? So Saturn is structure, water is kind of the erosion of structure um, or the seeping of of water through boundaries. And so there's one of the common things uh, associated with Saturn and Pisces is the feeling of overwhelm of being overwhelmed of having your normal conscious boundaries sort of overwhelmed. Maybe it's because, you know, a family member has to live with you for a month, right? Um, Or maybe it's because of what's happening in the larger industry that you work in or your job or your company or your relationship. But there's a sense of like larger forces that are out of your control, sort of flooding uh, and, and, uh, washing away the the structures that are often in place to you know keep us feeling like like protected and and sort of grounded and so forth. And this is often a very good thing. These overwhelms, these floods, so to speak, are often very positive. But as we read about earlier, um like this was last week, we talked about Saturn-Neptune eras and how they're you know associated with the tsunami that happened in Japan and uh the Hurricane Katrina and like so it can be like these floods and overwhelms can be um, very powerful and oftentimes um, very overwhelming you know to the point where it's like there's a relief mission that's needed in the psyche there's uh, we need to call in the Red Cross so to speak to to help us um, to over um, to move through um, the, the 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 waves you know so at any rate <clears throat> I want to talk today about, The different kinds of negative emotions associated with Saturn and Pisces and what to watch for, what to be careful of, and also um, what they do for us. So let's get into it. I've got 10 of them. As always, I like lists. So number one, dissatisfaction is part of love. This was really demonstrated for me in... um, in studying and participating in the bhakti yoga tradition uh, which is will always be dear to my heart especially the the figures of krishna and radha and um, in their love one of the things that defines their love deepens and intensifies their love um, and you could say that krishna and radha are in part like um, figures that stand in to represent the soul's relationship with god or the soul and its relationship with um, the divinity that is other, so self and other, or uh, God and creation, or the one and the many, or you know, yin and yang. Um, and that one of the ways that love is deepened and intensified is through separation. That separation is not just a negative thing, but is the means by which love is intensified. And you, everybody knows this, spend a little time apart from your lover and how do you feel? You know, your love for them often will intensify, but it intensifies through complicated, heavy, and sometimes like dark emotions. I miss you. I feel so alone. My world is falling apart without you. These emotions are quote unquote negative, but they are part and parcel of what intensifies and deepens our attachments and affection and devotion. So dissatisfaction is inherently from the most, in the most positive sense, dissatisfaction and angst and longing and separation are all part of what deepen and intensify, you know, healthy, loving attachments, whether it's in romantic love or friendship or, you know, whatever else. Uh, sometimes we're afraid of conflict in in emotionally difficult spaces because we want to uh, keep the harmony alive. But with a sign of maturity, as as far as, you know, I've heard from my therapist and a lot of the uh, writers who come from the archetypal psychology tradition that I really appreciate is this idea that, you know, a relationship that doesn't have a history of good fights, like good battles. And, and there's, you know, there's been major campaign victories on either side You know <laughs> that if you don't have that history of w- sort of like meaningful, difficult, negative, emotional spaces that you've had to traverse together. And sometimes there's a lot of, you know, angst and, and there's even fighting that if you don't have that, then there, there, there it's like, there's a whole dimension of your intimacy that is probably not going to grow. So, you know, Pain is part of what makes love um, so rich. That's another way of putting it. And so this Saturn in Pisces is bringing us back to that reality. Oh, it's difficult. Well, what do you do? Do you not want a deeper and more, um, you know, sophisticated and nuanced um, connection? You know, whether it's to reality itself or to the person you love or whatever. That's the you know rhetorical question Saturn in Pisces might be asking. Number two happiness often sets one apart. So, you know, one of the things that happiness has frequently been associated with Pope by poets and mystics, uh, all throughout the history of humankind is, uh, the sun. And what does the sun do as a light in the sky? It stands alone. It stands apart. And Saturn in Pisces isn't going to, is not so fond of that, right? There's a need for collective, um, relational identification and when you're happy you stand often in that happiness you're you're feeling self-sufficient you're feeling um, self-gratified and uh and you're feeling self-luminous um, not all happiness is rooted in standing apart or standing alone but there is a way in which you know when you, when, when you're really happy when i'm really happy you stand apart, saturn and pisces doesn't like things necessarily to stand apart and would rather things be related through you know emotional connections and often more complex emotional connections that have to do with uh, the darker heavier more difficult realities that we share in so for example and i know that you guys have gone through this i i have dated people in my past where if they were really happy and i was pretty immature like in my early 20s and was needy and stuff like that if they were really happy. I would take it as an affront. I'd be like, oh, they're happy. That means I'm left out. And I, I couldn't consciously say this or understand that this is what was going on. But I just thought, you know, if they're if they're happy and they're feeling really happy in themselves, then, and there would be some way in which I would want to try to bring them back to me through negative emotion. And um, that was something that, you know, I would say if there's one of the things I'm most grateful for in the ayahuasca experiences I had, it was that ayahuasca really showed me that pattern and was like, that's not a healthy thing to do, you know, to people you love. Um, and it's not healthy for you either because you, you want to be able to be self luminous as well. Um, and not all the time, but like you want to have that capacity and not resent it when you see it in someone else. But I also had, uh, relationships where that was done to me you know, I don't, know. I'm sure you guys have too, where if you're happy and you're saying someone's like, Oh, I don't like this. Let me try to, um, make them feel guilty for being happy or make them, uh, try to loop them back into, um, connection to me through some kind of drama. You're feeling good. Oh, well, you know, my stomach hurts. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) So you gotta be careful of this. It's definitely a Saturn in any kind of water sign type of pattern, but you know, in Pisces, it can be, mm, uh, There can be a way in which it's like, you know, don't, no, no, don't, don't stand apart. Let's, let's get into some kind of shared grief here. Cause isn't that nice to be connected? (laughs) You know, well, misery loves company and that's not a bad thing because, um, we are bound together in the things that we carry together. And that's a beautiful part of Saturn and Pisces. Uh, It can also make you resent happiness. Number three, pain attracts attention. And I don't mean, um, you know, there are, there is positive and negative, uh, you know, examples of this. Um, One of the ways I've noticed that my girls, you know, little, little kids, uh, four and seven years old, if they're not feeling seen or noticed that they might just start saying like, um, my tummy doesn't feel good. And if I, Oh, you know, like your tummy doesn't feel good. And let's pick my daughter up, you know, and hug her and put her on my lap or whatever, and spend a little time with her. And 10 minutes later, how's your tummy feel now? Better, you know, (laughs) And it's true. It's true. It's like, you know, watch Winnie the Pooh. Uh, Winnie the Pooh is, is uh, such a um, wonderful example of all of the temperaments on display. And it's oftentimes like, I feel kind of sad. Um, And why are you sad? I just don't feel joined and connected to anyone. But how does that manifest before we're consciously aware of it? Mm, mm, My tummy hurts. You know what I mean? (laughs) So... So there's a truth in the fact that our pain is like a little, it's like a little light going off that's suggesting that we want connection and that we need connection and it's painful to not have it, but then it can show up in ways that, you know, it's like it tries to cloak itself. Well, you know, please give me some attention. And then, you know, for some people that becomes problematic. It becomes a pattern of seeking attention and connection through, you know, constantly being in need or being hurt or being having a problem or something like that. Um, you know, I would say, um, uh, when I, start, I remember, you know, um, when I started writing online, the first way in which I ever shared online was there was a thing called Easy Journal. I don't know if you guys remember Easy Journal. And it was like a public... Space where you could read people's journals, and and I was, this was a couple of years before I decided to do an MFA in nonfiction or memoir writing, and um, you know that that primed me for it because I was writing about my life and experiences, but with with the sense that there was an audience there, which is kind of weird. And I had a journal long before that that was just for me, but then it was just like this weird, interesting forum, and of course, like. I, I, my easy journal had back in the day for me, you know, having a thousand people look at it was a huge deal. That was a huge deal to me. And I was like, wow, well, my easy journal is popular, you know, cause I had a you know, somewhat big audience for my easy journal. The people didn't even know who I was. Um, and what what is so interesting about that is that um, I started noticing early on that the that the angstier that I was in my easy journal, the more, the better it did, you know, and there's this really interesting quote that I found. <laughs> I love this quote. I don't know what this is from, but it's from uh Rob Thomas Rat Saw God, which I don't know if that's like a book or what. I swear you are the only person I know who makes decisions based on what will provide the best material for a diary. <laughs> that's a very Saturn and Pisces statement, in my opinion. And it it's it's like there's a and you you can't blame or be upset at the impulse behind the 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 desire to step into some kind of negative emotional state because of how who and what it attracts. Like you know, when you're singing the blues, people show up to listen, you know you know what I mean and often and share. Uh, so yeah, uh, number four is overcoming pain binds us together with others. One of the things that I notice about, um, I would say there's a particular client that I see and it's just archetypal client A they get married at a very early age like say 18 19 20 years old they get married at that age and they um they have to overcome all of the hardships of becoming an adult and they do so with this beloved with their with their lover and then all of a sudden there comes a stage at which your finances are relatively secure you got a relatively secure job maybe you got some health care you know you've got your car whatever you you're you're kind of like okay we're not just struggling to survive and and grow each other up anymore and th- this client comes to talk with me maybe you know 10 15 years beyond that that era you know and they're saying i just feel like you know we were so connected in the beginning and now we're we're not and um and so there's this, and one of the things that I'll often say is, you know, it's interesting how having something, having hardships to overcome can be one of the spaces in which intimacy flourishes. Like when you're bound together, solving a problem with a lover for 10 years of your life throughout your twenties, that binds you together. All of a sudden things aren't as stressful. And how do we relate any longer? And it's important to learn how to relate to new new problems that you, you know, relationships need problems to solve. And I know that sounds like, well, we don't want problems. We want to get to a space where we're content. And like, I don't think so. (laughs) It's like, my response is like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of boring. I mean, what do you want? Do you want your life to be like a Zen flute music is playing? And there's all of the drama in the world has been solved. Your bills are perfectly in order, you know, and uh, I probably don't have kids if that's the case, (laughs) right? (laughs) But you get the point. I think that if we have crosses to carry together, even if it's not like maybe it shouldn't be that, you you know, your whole life is defined by the crosses you carry, but you need things to carry together. Like I I reflect on the fact that one of the things my wife and I like to do in the evenings after the kids are in bed is we like to sit and talk about our day and at least a portion of that will feature the heaviness that we're carrying or that we're feeling or experiencing. And then there's usually the ability to like hold space for one another, but then set that down and like laugh or move into other spaces. But you need that place where you're carrying something. I think people don't understand that therapy is less about trying to go and solve something and more about trying to acknowledge the fact that we need to share spaces with other human beings where it's it's specifically about the um, the beauty and the the. Um, the, the soulfulness of, of pain that you, you need space for that. And, it, and I think we like to cloak it under like, well, there's these problems, you know, but what did, what did James Hillman say about problems? This is one of my favorite quotes of all times. Why do we focus so intensely on our problems? What draws us to them? Why are they so attractive? They have the magnet power of love. Somehow we desire our problems. We are in love with them much as we want to get rid of them. Problems sustain us. Maybe that's why they don't go away. What would a life be without them? Completely tranquilized and loveless. There is a secret love hiding in each problem. Problems bind us together with other people. They bind us together with ourselves. Uh, So, you know, people ask like, oh, you know what? when will there be a day when, you know, all of the problems of the world are solved and we're all like, it's like agape and we're all, you know, holding hands and spinning in a field of sunlight or whatever. And, you know, I've never been attracted to that personally. I mean, there's just too much angst in my soul and too much appreciation for that angst, even consciously. I mean, what to speak of the unconscious ways in which I'm drawn to those things. Right. But I just think that we, if we could develop a taste for the, the reality and the The sort of undeniability of of pain, suffering, impermanence, complicated, quote unquote, negative emotions. We would probably do better just by realizing that they're they are a part of things. They're a part of the fabric of life. Number five, saving people makes us feel useful. There's a whole thing about Saturn and Pisces that has to do with broken people or things and the heroic need to, um, you know, to to help and heal and save. And there's an egoic way in which we have to be careful because if we're building our whole sense of being worthy or worthwhile or our self, you know, our, our self-esteem is rooted in the feeling that I'm a savior, I'm a helper, I'm a healer. You know, how many another client A, right? Another thing that I see 24-7 is people come into the reading and they say, I know that I'm a healer, but I haven't figured out how to translate that into making a living yet. And I'm always like, you know, why is it that like three out of four people, it comes in and says, um, I'm trying to figure out a way to move my career in the direction of being a healer. I think in, in part, A, I don't think the world really acknowledges or makes a lot of room for people to be giving those kind of gifts, just like it's hard for artists to be recognized and appreciated in the same way that other careers are, right? So I think there's something just deficient about um, you know the world and its ability to recognize healers and 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 helpers. Often, our healthcare workers are the most unappreciated, right? So, and teachers too, and you know, but people who are naturally have um, a, a helping spirit are often just undervalued and, and 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 not treated well and not paid well. So, there's something to that. On the same, but on the same, um, on the other hand, I have noticed that there is a sense of you know. That that we are because we're attracted to the the sharing of burdens and the complicated states of pain, and that part of that constellates around victims and redeemers. And the redeemer is like it it, you know, people may legitimately be called to heal and help and serve. And then there's a way in which um we may be feeling like, Oh, I, I, I want to be the person who saves and helps and redeems others and build, you know, success and like a career and, and, you know, wealth and whatever and power uh, through that kind of thing. Um, And that makes us, it's like, it implicates us in the negative emotions, but it also somehow gives us that feeling of being a part. Well, I'm the hero of those negative emotional spaces. And, um, I think that in, I'll be totally honest as someone who's worked in the quote unquote new age industry, I've seen, I said quote unquote today, like 30 times. I need to stop. Someone needs to like, I need to have a fine if I say that again. All right. So (laughs) there's like so many, um, I think the new age basically capitalizes on this in at its worst in in, uh, astrology, the Reiki, the yoga, the, the, the whole world of it is like, um, you know, you're a healer. And if you just take this workshop, you know, you know, then you're, you're natural healing. And, and of course you're a healer. Why? Because you've suffered so much, you know, and it's like, that's the story you've suffered so much. So you know what you should do. This world of suffering and pain is now so familiar to you. It's the, like the, the water you, you know, you swim in or you live in like a fish. It doesn't even recognize it. Now you're aware of it. And uh, that makes you a little different. So maybe you're a healer. Right. And then, let's uh, let's build an ego off from staying in that kind of world, but now being a hero within it. And that's not always a bad thing. Like I'm I'm not trying to just slam that there are people who experience trauma and oftentimes are then called to serve or heal in some role in some capacity. And then there's this weird way in which um, we want, we, we both, we want to have like the merit badge of having been through lots of complicated emotions and uh knowing trauma and pain but then like having we well, i really have my shit together now you know i've got my reiki certification and I'm, I, my practice and i make money and blah 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 and uh yeah i just i think it's you know it's it's a story that's there it's real and it's also one that you know you have to be kind of careful of at times okay anyway i'll go on before uh i draw the ire of everyone listening. Number six, problems make us feel like we know better. There's a weird way in which, uh, if you, if there are, if you're very aware of problems, right, then you're sitting, you're also like in the analyst chair, you know, it's like, Oh, look at all these problems. And look at, you know, look at how well I know them. I mean, I will be honest and say that part of my attraction to talking about archetypes in general is that there's something about the familiarity with like all of the, all of human drama and the ability to like articulate thoughts about it that you know gratifies my ego um and so and that's not always a bad thing like you know there's a reason that there are people who are you know expert psychoanalysts or expert archetypal psychologists or whatever um a familiarity with problems and complicated uh, realities uh, in the human heart uh, grant us a sense of wisdom and there is a wisdom saturn in pisces is precisely that kind of wisdom uh, the the wisdom of suffering, the, the wisdom of, um, you know, the, the the dramas of the human heart. Um, there, However, there is a way in which we can stay in the vortex or like whirlpool of negative stuff simply because being familiar with it grants us this kind of, well, look at how sagely I am when it comes to dark and heavy shit. You know what I mean? So you got to be careful of that, even though the same archetype can grant us you know, real sort of psychological insight into like the, the labyrinth of human dynamics. All right, number seven is not having someone or something to blame shifts the focus back to us. Did you know that Saturn was traditionally associated with scapegoats or the archetype of the scapegoat? I read this on a blog from the Sydney Jewish Museum, um, which apparently is a blog from, I guess, Australia says the origins of a scapegoat. Did you know the history of the word scapegoat? It was first coined in the 16th century to describe the ritual animals that the Jewish community placed their sins onto in preparation for Yom Kippur. Today, we use the word scapegoat to describe people who symbolically take on the sins of others. And it goes on to describe this um, history of it in Christ, Christian and Jewish uh, thought. It's very fascinating. Um, but uh, I think what's interesting about the um, the idea of the scapegoat is that the scapegoat is something that we it's like all of the sins or all of the negative emotions and problems since the weather where the word sin just means to have missed the mark, the blemishes, the stains, you put them onto something. And that something then carries those things and purifies and eliminates them because all it, everything gets put onto that, uh, that goat. Well, um, you know, that's in in some ways that's, it's very human and natural to do that. Like, oh, I have, I'm just naturally as a soul, my soul is a, a complex web of feelings and thoughts and ideas. Some of them are dark. And that's just, that's just what it is. It's like looking at the world and saying that, you know, part of the world involves, um, you know, uh, animals killing each other and, and, you know, mudslides and like, it includes like dark stuff. Well, the soul just includes dark stuff. And, um, at times, rather than just owning that, there's there's a need to put that onto something else rather than just dealing with the inherent darkness and suffering that is a part of us, that we want to place that onto someone or something else. And that can be a problem, a complaint, um, you know, a chronic pattern, a person, you know what I mean? Uh, um, a culprit that's this is to, this is what's to blame. This is the problem. So it's very easy. Saturn in in Pisces can amplify that feeling that someone or something, let's put, let's place it all on this thing. Um, I, you know, I'll give you an example in, I, I have almost always, this is another client, like very common thing that I've seen over the years is that someone will come in and it'll be like some kind of environmental irritant. But then in, while it's a very real irritant, like let's say it's mold or it's like black mold in your house or something like that, which is like terrible and can cause all sorts of problems for people, right? R- very real problems. But then I'll notice that sometimes that black mold starts becoming con- like, it becomes the answer to like everything, like everything becomes about the black mold. And it's a it's a weird thing because the, in a sense, the black mold is like, it's, it's like taking over. <laughs> Um, And, and it's this like, it's this, it's like a psychic fungus, though, as much as it is a literal one. And um, anyway, lots could be said about that. Um, And one of the things anyway, that I've noticed is that in those sessions, one of the things that I'll do is try to pull things apart well, maybe some of what you're dealing with here relates over to this other person or this other area of your life. And we can separate that a little bit from like, you know, the mold problem in your house, even though they're, they they may be related, let's try to pull things apart a little bit more. And that's a very valuable thing that we can do with Saturn and Pisces where things can kind of flood and one thing can kind of seep past one boundary into another. And so um, it's easy for one thing to become blamed, f- f- like one thing to take on the, the problems of everything. Um, and, you know, it, it's easy because then that shifts the focus off from the complexity. Well, some some of the problem is over here. Some of it's over here and some of it's over here. Well, th- that's harder to identify, especially when you're overwhelmed to do that process of differentiating pain and suffering. So, you know, some people just won't, they they won't want to do that. Uh, but but in, in not doing that, the blame will become sort of like, you um, you know, it'll shift all onto one thing, just like the scapegoat. Uh, and that's easy and comfortable because it takes the focus off from us or off, um off from the difficulty of sort of differentiating, carefully differentiating and having some meaningful boundaries to separate out and like, like distribute the pain a little bit more intelligently. So, Anyway, not having someone or something to blame can shift the focus back to us in a way that's really uncomfortable. Um, but living with that uncomf- that discomfort and trying to work boundaries in and between the different levels of um, pain and problematic emotions is like a sign of intelligence. And that's something that Saturn and Pisces can actually help us with. Uh, anyway. Number eight is guilt and culpability bind us to the drama of the world. No escape. And this is one of the great things about, you know, co- collective guilt and, and everything that Pisces often in, in, entails is that like, if you step into the reality of suffering as part of life, as part of reality, then it's not something you're trying to rise above. It's something you're a part of, which can bind you meaningfully to the world. And I think that's one of the great gifts of Saturn and Pisces. Um, but also um, there's a way in which, you know, people always want you to there's a certain group of people that's like they want you to be sucked into the same dramatic news cycle that that they are and it's like well I don't you know yes there is a world and we shouldn't try to uh, bypass that world uh, we should be we're implicated in it right and so Saturn and Pisces can draw us into that implication and, and bind us to the world in deeper love especially through the darker elements uh, but um, it's also sometimes there's kind of like a guilt and a shame like Hey, you should be um, stressed out like I am, you know? All right. Uh, Number nine, criticism. Nothing is ever good enough. Uh, This kind of mentality, this romantic angsty, nothing's ever good enough. uh, That smuggles romantic idealism into everything. Listen to, you ever have people in your life who when you talk to them, it's like, what's wrong with this? Or what's wrong with that? Or how could this be better? Or, you know, uh, this person... um, you know, th- this is how they kind of don't do it for me or wh- wherever there's someone who's like a critic and always complaining um, and, you know, just generally dissatisfied. One of the ways, one of the things that's interesting is that, you know, with Saturn and Saturn Pisces as sort of emblematic of that personality, that I'm constantly sort of uh, bothered by how everything falls short, you know, um, that there's often at like the core of that Critical dissatisfaction is romantic idealism is a, almost like a perfectionism and having a little bit more awareness of that dichotomy between criticism, nothing ever good enough, and sort of the the perfect romantic ideal. And just knowing that they, they hang out together. It might seem like one, when, where one is really loud, the other is present. When someone is a sort of a romantic idealist, you know, and they're always like, always talking about the, the most beautiful, bah, da, 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 you know, just 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 over the top with their romantic ideations. Probably there's a really intense inner critic nearby, uh, a, a voice of judgment. Um, and where there also is chronic dissatisfaction, there is like someone looking at the stars somewhere in the soul, like just completely enamored by the beauty of everything, and but nothing can compare. Do you, you know what I mean? So they go together, and um, Saturn and Pisces should, if anything, can help us be more aware of how closely those two two figures are in the psyche. And then number ten, people who love to cleanse and clean need blemishes. Look this is, you know, for me, I I was like, one of the reasons that I finally realized that it was time for me to, like, I had gotten the message. So I needed to hang up the phone with 10 years of drinking ayahuasca was that I realized that cleaning, cleansing, healing, and self-work are, they don't, they don't ever stop. It's, it's an activity, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you're an eternal being who has no beginning and end. And if you want to cleanse and clean and heal, there's an endless amount of smudges, you know, and it can be very satisfying to clean a smudge, get it shining nice and new. But you also have to, you know, realize at a certain point, that there's there's no end to this. There's no space at which you're like, I think there's um a, a linear myth of progress. That's like, uh you know, that that's always like covertly present in the desire to cleanse and clean and heal and purify and sage and smudge. And, you know, like all this stuff, um, all things, things that I do myself, by the way. Uh, but there's, uh, you know, Saturn and Pisces can be the, the chronic, um, need to heal and clean and purify that doesn't really end and becomes at some point can become almost like, like pathological, um, i'm broken things are you know I, I went to yet another workshop where i dug up my family history and i you know it's like more and more and more and more um and you know it, it, i think what's important is not that people do or don't participate in cleaning and cleansing and healing but more that they recognize that it is archetypal it doesn't make them better than anyone else and doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't lots of other ways of, of living a life or of, uh, growing or of, um, you know, um, uh, being spiritual, being spiritual does not mean that I am constantly excavating like, you know, old bones from the past and like processing them or something. Um, at the same time, the feeling of their, you know, like deep cleansing and healing is a part of Saturn and Pisces. Uh, so, but in other words, the need to clean and cleanse will always go alongside of the awareness of blemishes. They just go together. And I like to think about it more like, you know, some people like to, uh, go jogging. Some people like to go healing, you know, <laughs> some people like to go, uh, you know, stargazing. Some people like to go smudging and healing themselves. And to me, I, I see them now as, um, th- that there's seasons for these activities and that some people, you know, like pitch pitch their tent in certain uh, in the space of certain kinds of activities. They just like to do them over and over again. Um, and usually, though, it helps to understand that what we're doing is archetypal. And the great illusion of Saturn in Pisces is that, um, you know, if you ever stop doing this kind of self healing work, uh, you know, you'll you'll fall behind, or you won't be good enough, or um, you know, you won't be whole or complete. You have to keep healing until you've reached the end or something like that. That's a little problematic, I think. Anyway, these are all just ideas for you to play with in relation to Saturn's entrance into Pisces. I hope they've been useful for you. I'll leave it there for today. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Leave your comments. I'd love to hear from you guys. You can find a transcript of any of this this talk on the website after it's posted, which is at nightlightastrology.com. All right, that's it for today. Hope you're having a a good one and that you were... um, excited to share in the complicated emotions of this uh, talk. All right, take it easy. Bye.